Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen. And again, welcome to Shiloh Chapel. It is good to see all your shining faces here this morning. Well, again, it is Thanksgiving weekend, but it is also, as for many of us, it is the beginning of Advent, of the Christmas season. And while I am not specifically following an Advent schedule over the course of the next several weeks, what today is I'm going to be presenting to you is, well, let me put it this way. My wife is an avid quilter. Anyone here familiar with what it is to put together a quilt? <laughs> In quilting, of course, you make these blocks. And later on, after you've made these blocks in a very specific way, you then sew all the blocks together. And that makes a quilt. Now, there's more to it than that. There's, there's much more to it than that. But much of what we're doing, what I'm doing with the sermons leading up to Christmas, is like a quilt in that each one is sort of a block, these sermons. And at the end, I hope, I hope, if it goes as planned, I will sew all of these little blocks together. Like, pray for me. I need all the help I can get. I'll be getting quilting lessons from my wife, so to speak. I wanted to mention to you and show to you, before I get uh, too far along here, this Christmas catalog is from Samaritan's Purse. And our missions committee has put together a number of donations through this uh, Christmas catalog to Samaritan's Purse. Our missions committee, of course, uh, takes a very significant percentage of all of your donations, like a tithe, if you will, and puts them towards missions. And Samaritan's Purse gets a good chunk of that because they are a genuine, worthwhile, godly ministry that does good and wonderful godly works all around the world. But I also mention that, and by the way, the specifics I have here, if any of you want them, I will be putting that out in the Google group email list, uh, hopefully soon, so that you can all know the details of where the money you are donating, a percentage of it, is going. In addition to that, we also sponsor a missionary. More than we, we sponsor missionary organizations, but we also sponsor a person who is a missionary. And that person is going to be our guest speaker next week. Now, it wasn't our, intentional, our intention to have her uh, during the Christmas season. She is going to be here speaking to us because that's when she is available, period. So uh, she has, well, quite an amazing story to tell. Uh, gripping, I would even go so far as to say. So I hope that you are here next week. I do not believe we're going to be able to put it out on Facebook Live or on YouTube because of where she serves on the mission field. It is important that we keep her identity somewhat of a secret. Um, and that's all I can tell you at this point. But it's quite a story. I am not kidding. All right, so let's get into it. Quick prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would guide this message along, uh, help me to speak properly with efficiency and effectiveness, and give everyone who is listening to me ears to hear your message, that they would hear and see Jesus and him only. In his name I pray, amen. As we now always do before we begin every sermon here at Shiloh Chapel, <clears throat> we read this passage of Scripture. And I would like you to read it with me if you want. If you just want to listen and follow along, that is your option. But I want you all to become very familiar with this because, well, frankly, these two verses are at the core of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's go. All Scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. And of course, that is 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. If you can remember John 3.16, that might help you to remember 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. The conception and birth of Jesus Christ. Read with me if you will. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. In New Testament times, this betrothal was a form of engagement. Nobody gets betrothed today. We hear of people becoming engaged all the time. And in fact, oftentimes, I don't know what the percentages are, those engagements are broken. It is a more casual, not, not necessarily a legally binding agreement. However, the betrothal in these times that we are speaking of, in the New Testament times, leading up to the birth of Christ, technically you could say it's the Old Testament times until it's the birth of Christ. You know, I once had uh, an atheist and I, we had a conversation. It wasn't bad. It wasn't hostile or anything along that line. And uh, I said, you know, it's interesting. You, you don't think that Christ ever actually even existed. So tell me, uh, what year were you born? And uh, he told me, and I said, That's, uh, that was A.D. or was it B.C.? And uh, he said, oh, yeah. Okay, I see what you're talking about. Jesus Christ is, was, and, and has been such a central figure that even our calendar across the entire world is divided. Now, mind you, there are those who have tried to change it from B.C. to B.C.E., before the Common Era, and C.E., the Common Era, because, you know, seriously, I'll let you make your own interpretation of that, okay? 
if you are determined not to believe, you'll find all kinds of reasons not to believe what this message is this morning. I want to tell you that if you believe the very first words in the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you should have no difficulty believing anything else in the Bible. And in fact, next to God creating the heavens and the earth, this is probably one of the most disbelieved things, the virgin birth of Christ in all the world, people who make claims against Christianity. Well, I'm here to tell you <laughs> that I believe very sincerely it happened, and I've got all kinds of evidence. I'm not presenting all of it this morning. This morning, I want you to put yourself in the shoes. Remember how we talked about, just a couple of weeks ago, about meditating on Scripture? And that one of the key factors about meditating on Scripture, and there are several, but one of the key ones that I like to do in here is for you to put yourself in the place of the people in the story. Now, this isn't just a made-up story like a myth. This is a historical event. Okay? So here we go. Back to the betrothal. Betrothal was much like being married. Betrothal actually took place in a couple of different stages. First, in betrothal, there was typically, most commonly, now sometimes people chose their own person that they were going to be betrothed to. But at that point in time, in that society, the decision was generally made most commonly by the parents of the two people being betrothed. Did you know that? Are you familiar with uh, customs and cultures around the world that have done that? Perhaps you are. So this second stage was actually of betrothal was a formal almost like a wedding ceremony. It was witnessed. And in order to break a betrothal, it had to be broken by a divorce. Now, mind you, they were called husband and wife, but they weren't actually completely married yet. Okay? Being completely married meant that they moved into a place together. Could have been his parents. Could have been her parents. Could have been his own home depending on the situation, depending on who you talk to, where, who you read. But basically what it broke down to was for about a year they, after this ceremony, they were betrothed. They were in this legally binding thing, and they were not consummating the marriage. They did not have marital relations, is one way of saying it. So during this time, if one of them was found to have committed adultery, having been unfaithful, having had sexual relations with someone, even if it was their so-called betrothed, it was considered adultery. Now, mind you, uh, it was especially bad if it was adultery with someone other than the betrothed. There were relatively peaceful provisions for them having done so with the, with the betrothed. It still wasn't good. But outside of that relationship, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, they could have been stoned to death. 
stoned to death. Now, mind you, during this time period, Rome had taken over the nation of Israel. So Rome had taken away from Israel the right to capital punishment. So the chances are pretty good that they wouldn't have been stoned to death under this, at this time period. But there would have been a severe social penalty for this. There would have been great difficulty for them, perhaps for the rest of their lives. They might never have recovered from all of the negative consequences. So, anyway, as it says, now the birth of Jesus the Messiah was as followed. Before this, the first 17 verses is a genealogy, which we're not going to get into this morning, but that genealogy is meaningful, and it is part of the means by which I am going to hopefully stitch all of these little quilt blocks and squares together before we get to the end, at least in part. And we are going to be working over the course of the next few weeks in Matthew and Luke, doing a little comparison and contrasting and so forth and so on. And in actuality, normally this section of Scripture is preached the very Sunday before, if you follow tradition, the very Sunday before Christmas. So I'm a little off track here. You can have your opinion about that. But how many of you have watched Star Wars? And didn't Star Wars come out with this original story and then then we came out with a bunch of prequels? Okay, the prequels, the story before the story? Well, we're kind of going to be doing that. So I hope you stay tuned. I hope it works out. And, uh, you know, you can write a Yelp review on me after it's all done. (laughs) okay Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit you think that might have caused some problems has God ever interrupted your life with a major event yeah I, I dare say all of you have had such a thing happen such things happen not exactly like this next verse this is a cross reference There's a reason for this cross-reference. It's from Luke. Let's read it together, shall we? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, also, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. So, an angel had previously announced this mysterious event to Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. It says, will overshadow you. Remember back in Genesis, in the creation account, you get this picture of the Holy Spirit coming down upon the formless void and bringing life to this formless void and order to the creation. The Holy Spirit is often the power agent by which God the Father does His work. And just as in the creation of the world, he is bringing this supernatural creation of a child without human father to Mary. And so, next verse in the focal passage. And her husband Joseph, 
since he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Stop and think of the position Joseph is in. Joseph has just found out. Now, if you were so many months into a betrothal, and you found that your betrothed was pregnant and it had nothing to do with you, what would you think? What would you feel? How would you respond? Most people would have responded in anger. Joseph did not, did he? He has a very measured response. Now, I suggest to you that his feelings were hurt at this point. But even with his feelings heard, like it says, since he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, what do you suggest his motive is behind that? Love. Love for her. Concern more for her, but mind you, he's sort of walking a middle ground. He's got a few options here. He can divorce her publicly and have her publicly shamed and essentially ruin her life. Or he could just go ahead and marry her. But then the problem is, it looks like he's condoning the act. It looks like maybe the two of them are guilty of a little premarital something. Okay? So he decides to take the middle ground and he wants to do this. He wants to spare his righteousness. And it's interesting, you know, that right at this particular time, the next thing happens. Verse 20. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Well, that changes things, doesn't it? What do you think the odds are? What are the chances that he didn't believe this for a minute? I mean, stop and think about it. If someone told you that they were pregnant, a young lady told you that she was pregnant and it was of the Holy Spirit, what would you think? Hmm? The difference is, this isn't the young lady telling you this. This is an angel of the Lord who has appeared to him in a dream. Now, mind you, about three or maybe four months, depending on whose time clock you want to look at, Mary knew this ahead of time. Immediately after, and we're going to get, that's the next square on this quilt. That's the next, what's the term we use, honey? What do you call it? Blocks. It's the next block on this quilt we're going to cover in a couple of weeks. Okay? But Mary knew about this about maybe three months ahead of time, and she went off to visit who? Elizabeth, I knew you all knew the story. And I know you know this story. But I want to ask you to 
not turn off the gray matter because you're familiar with the story. That's the problem sometimes with these very familiar biblical stories. Is, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go to the Bahamas for a minute while Pastor Stan goes through this story because I've already heard it a hundred times or five hundred times or whatever. What I want you to do is to intentionally, very purposely, engage your mind here to put yourself in the position of the people in this story. Because it is relevant. And it's relevant to you, and it's relevant to every single one of you, and it's relevant today. You'll see. You'll see. So, I find it interesting that uh, right when G Joseph had made this decision, it was exactly then that God decided to interfere, intervene with a dream. Dreams of means of divine communication in the, New in the New Testament were concentrated in Matthew's prologue. It's, ba it's basically only here in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we heard about people having dreams, God speaking to them through dreams, but in the New Testament, it's just here. It's unique to Matthew. So, anyway, the focus here is on God's gracious intervention and the messenger's private communication. You understand? The angel's opening words, by the way, Joseph, son of David. Don't lose sight of that. In the genealogy that is put in Matthew, that is relevant. And again, when I stitch these blocks together later, so stay tuned, we'll get into that a bit more. Son of David, this, it ties to the previous gene, a genealogy, like I said. It maintains interest in the theme of the Davidic Messiah. The Messiah is supposed to come from where? What line? David, the line of David, correct. So, he says, do not be afraid. Joseph has a role to play here, a vitally important role. He is from the line of David. All right, let's move it along. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Hmm. Jesus. You know, <clears throat> you know what the uh, Hebrew name Jesus is? It's Joshua or Yeshua. And in fact, you've heard me use in here many times a term that is actually not in the Bible. I took it, the name, the name of Christ, from Messianic Jews. It's not actually in the Bible. They use Yeshua, which is Jesus. And Christ, which means Messiah in the Greek, it, so it's Jesus Christos, or Christos, that's the Greek. In the Hebrew, Messianic Jews, I've heard many times, have used this term that is not actually in the Bible, and they, they call him Yeshua HaMashiach, which is basically their amalgamation. I don't understand Hebrew, don't know Hebrew, but I've heard numerous Messianic Jews use that term. Well, again, Joshua. It means the Lord is salvation, or the Lord saves. 
Mary's son is the one who brings the Lord's promised eschatological salvation. Okay, $20 words there. But two Joshua's in the Old Testament are used in the New Testament as types of Christ. There is Joshua, the successor to Moses, and the one who led the people into the promised land. And you can read about that in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. There's also Joshua, the high priest, contemporary of Zerubbabel. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And you can read about that in Ezra chapter 2 and 3. He's the branch who builds the temple of the Lord in Zechariah chapter 6. But instead of referring to either one of those, the angel explains the significance of the name by referring to Psalm 130 verse 8, and it's right here. And he will redeem Israel from all his guilty deeds. Notice the he is capitalized, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And from all his, the his is not capitalized. So the his is referring to Israel from all his guilty deeds, okay? Verse 22, let's read it together. Now all this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Through the prophet. Does anybody remember how many times Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament? That's going to be part of how I sew all these blocks together in the coming weeks. But today we have just this. First Peter mentions, um, I'm not sure if it is First Peter, but that's all right. I might have made a mistake on that. But it says, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. True prophets, true prophecy. How do we know when a prophet is correct? Well, the prophecy comes true. <laughs> there are lots of prophets out there now that want to tell you about the financial markets. There are some so-called prophecy people that wanted to tell us how the last presidential election was going to work out. I can tell you that any of them that told me TV, radio, wherever it was, how things were going to go, and it didn't go that way, I stopped listening to them. That's my rule of thumb. And mind you, I didn't pay a lot of attention to them anyway. But still, when a prophet says, this is absolutely the way it's going to be, and then it doesn't turn out that way, and they go, oh, and then they start backpedaling and correcting and so forth and so on. Oh, no, this is what I meant this time. So here's the way it's going to lay out. And you look at this date. How many people have predict, predicted the return of Christ? And have any of them been correct so far? No. So there's a lot of false prophets out there. Pay attention to who you believe and what you believe. <clears throat> there we go. Next verse. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Okay? Is God with you? 
That's the most important thing to deal with this morning, is God with you. You know the Christmas story. You've heard it a hundred times, five hundred times, a thousand times. I don't know how many times you've heard it, right? So, are you listening? Is God with you? Is he with you? Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call his, his name Emmanuel. Now, mind you, I want you to know that there's some controversy. Back in the 19th century, maybe the early 20th century, liberal theologians decided that they wanted to take this translation that became virgin. Now, this word virgin, by the way, is the term Alma, which occurs in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It can mean maiden or young girl, and it never refers to a married woman. The other primary term is betula, I think that's how it's pronounced, which can indicate a virgin. And that's noted in Genesis 24, Leviticus 21, but also it can mean old widow, as in Joel 1.8. However, the Jewish translators, anybody ever heard of something called the Septuagint? You remember how it's, it's uh, what the abbreviation is for when they're talking about the, the Septuagint? It's LXX. LXX. When it'll show a quote sometimes in something you're reading. It shows LXX. The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. Now, the Jewish religious establishment around, I think, 280 B.C. decided, well, most of the world is now speaking Greek, so if we want to communicate this stuff, we got to get it into Greek because Hebrew at this point in time was a, definitely a minority language. Okay? So <clears throat> the Septuagint is the translation into Greek. What do we remember about Greek? Greek is a very precise language. Very precise. Now, the, the scholars, the Hebrew scholars and the Greek scholars of that day did a good job and did a, did a proper job when they rendered the Hebrew term Alma with the Greek term Parthenos. Now, this it almost without any exceptions specifies someone who is sexually mature, a female, unmarried woman who is a virgin. What do I mean by sexually mature? I mean able to have sexual relations and bear a child. That's all it means. All right? Now, how old is that? Well, from what we know, it was very common in those days for women to be young ladies would be betrothed as early as the age of 12. Typically, it was 13 or 14. Okay, I'm told that they lived a much shorter life in those days, so they didn't waste any time, so to speak. So, now, it's funny because if you go back and you look at all the Jewish writings the Talmud and so forth and so on, the list goes on, the Mishnah and, and all of that. Back in those days, they all viewed this as being translated virgin. There was no argument about it until much later on when people who want to 
essentially uh, discredit Scripture, who want to steal from the possibility of everything supernatural in the Bible, decided, no, no, it doesn't mean that anymore, including the so-called Jewish scholars. But again, you go back in time, there was absolutely no question then, and anyone who is truly objective now will tell you that when it's translated virgin, that's an accurate translation. Anybody who tells you otherwise is not being honest. I'll tell you that right now, honestly. So, so, the earlier the angel instructs Joseph to name the child Jesus in verse 21, the name by which he was called through this earthly life by the early church. We have no record of Jesus being called Emmanuel by his family or his followers. Did you know that? You probably knew that. Instead, as Matthew translates it, the name indicates Jesus' identity, God with us, and the name Jesus specifies what he does, which is God saves, right? The name Emmanuel specifies who he is, God with us. So Jesus, God saves, Emmanuel, God saves. I'm excuse me, God with us. There's no record of Christ ever being called Emmanuel. However, uh, Emmanuel might also be a designation for Christ, which will be used primarily in his second advent. You with me on that? Okay. All right. In Isaiah chapter 7, You'll notice that that is where that comes from. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. The reason that's capitalized, and this is the translation that I will be using almost exclusively from now on, it is capitalized because it is a quote from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Now I want you to know that it's we shouldn't use that verse out of that section of Isaiah entirely on its own. Because actually, from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, all the way through chapter 9, verse 7, it really should be read as a unit. And that's also, I hope, is going to be part of the way I stitch all these blocks together, so stay tuned. All right, are you tired of me saying that now? I'll try not to say it anymore today. All right, but just as a little precursor, in chapter 9, Just a foreshadowing. He is the child and son called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, whose government and peace will never end, and as he reigns on David's throne forever. Are you listening? I ask you, Whether you are a skeptic or a believer, I ask you, who else fills that description? It can be no one else. I've heard skeptics, I've watched skeptics and and, uh, uh, Christian apologists debate on this stuff. And I'm amazed that some of these skeptics still even bother to come and have these public debates at universities. Because in every single case that I have seen, the Christian apologist just ate their lunch. Um, 
based on any logic and reason, just ate their lunch every single time. Now, maybe it's because I have a bias. Maybe. But, you know, I wasn't always a believer. And, in fact, I was a skeptic. And I have been on the other side of that equation. And I didn't believe any of that stuff. Like, this is, this is all. But you know what? I see things differently now, which is why I'm standing up here, I suppose. <laughs> I've been a skeptic. I understand where they're coming from. And it is just simply stubborn disbelief. That's it, period, because all the evidence stacks up strongly on the biblical side of things. If you think I don't mean that, we can have a discussion sometime, if you're up for it. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Notice, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Has he not done a complete turnaround? Joseph, it says, is a righteous man. Tell me, what is the sign of his righteousness here? What is the evidence of his righteousness here? What is the evidence of your righteousness? Ouch. Yeah, it hurts me a little bit too. Believe me, I'm, I'm not perfect. You all know that. But do you believe what you're, when an angel of the Lord speaks to you, when the Word of God speaks to you, do you believe it? And do you obey it? That's the mark here. That's the standard here. Do you understand? Yes, you've heard the story. But is this relevant to you? Is this part of your life today, now? If it's not, you can make the decision to change. Just like Joseph makes the change here. Are you with me? Say amen. All right, say it one more time with feeling. <laughs> All right, yes, I am closing soon. Take a deep breath. Open your eyes wide. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to what? And he named him Jesus, just as he was told. What does Jesus mean? Say it again out loud. Exactly. God saves. He will save his people. From what? Was he saving them from a drudgery life? Was he saving them, us, from um, baldness? Was he saving us from the battle of the bulge? Was he saving us from a bad economy? Was he saving us from... What was he, what was he saving us from? Our sins. Why is that important? Because God Almighty created us for himself, for a relationship with him. And a righteous, holy God cannot let sin go. It must be atoned for. And Jesus had to suffer the wrath, the righteous, holy wrath of a righteous, holy God. He took the punishment for us on the cross. 
And that is why he was born. You know, oh, there's so much more I want to say. <laughs> uh, but I told you, I'm going to close soon, so I'm going to stick with it. Okay? But kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. You know, there was this teaching, by the way, that still exists, I believe, in the Catholic Church that said that Mary remained perpetually a virgin. No. That's not the case. The teaching that Mary remained a virgin all of her life is disproved by the consummation of the marriage here, mentioned in this verse. Other references which indicate that Mary had children by Joseph are in Matthew 12, 46, 13, 55, and 56. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. John chapter 7, 3 and 5. Acts 1, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 9, 5. And Galatians 1, 19. In taking Mary as his wife, Joseph also took her child as his adopted son. That's important. That's very important. He was from the line of David. The genealogy in the first 17 verses of Matthew points that out. So he became, Jesus became legal heir through Joseph to the throne of David. This is fulfillment of prophecy. Again, I didn't say it. I'm just showing you stitching. I didn't say it. <laughs> I'm glad some of you understand my rather unusual sense of humor. So thus the Messiah King was born. The Eternal One entered time. The Omnipotent became a tiny infant. The Lord of glory veiled that glory in a human body. And in him, Colossians 2.9 says, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I don't know about you, but that gives me goosebumps when I read those words. Handel's Messiah comes to mind. Hallelujah! 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 God of very God. Such power. Such majesty. Such love. He came and was essentially humiliated. The high king of the universe came down and was born into this filthy existence of earth compared to where he came from. And he spent 33 years here living a hard life and sinned not once. So that he, being fully God and fully man, no human father but a human mother, as a human being could be our sacrifice in one sense because it took a human to shed blood on the cross, but as fully God could be the sinless, perfect sacrifice that the holy God required to pay so that we, you understand, you remember, and I'm going to close with this. You remember in the Garden of Eden, before the fall from grace, 
God used to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. God, from that day, from the time he had to kick them out of the Garden of Eden, was calling out through all time, down through history, for a reconciliation. He has been longing for a reconciliation, and one day we will be in the Garden again because of this Christ child who has been born. God, I told you, created us for him. Apart from him, our existence is meaningless, pointless. We are created for relationship with him, for fellowship with him, and fellowship together with him. And apart from that, and apart from him, not only can we do nothing, but we are effectively not anything close to living according to our purpose or God's plan. Do you want to know purpose in your life? Do you want to live according to the plan God has for your life? Then come to Jesus. Surrender completely to him. And you will have purpose in your life. That is the beginning of this Advent season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus Christ for this message. I thank you for your grace in filling the gaps and the holes of my weakness. Your word says that in my weakness, in our weakness, your power is made perfect, and that was never more clearly evident than this morning. Thank you for your always, always, always being faithful. I pray that you bless your people as they go from here today and remind them to surrender to Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.